All right, good evening, good evening, everyone. Welcome, Merry Christmas. So glad you guys are here. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, we are here to celebrate the fact that God entered Earth, that God entered history. The world he created, he entered. And so, uh, just want to say welcome. This afternoon, this evening, we're going to be looking at, really, the angelic gospel. We want to talk about and look at the gospel through the eyes of the angels. What would it have been like for the, as the angels saw Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, enter earth? What was it like from their perspective? And so that's what we want to look at. That's what we want to talk about. The Bible has a lot to say about this. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says this, Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. That God was manifested in the flesh, and the angels saw this, and it's important enough to note it, and so that's what we want to do. What does it look like to see Jesus through the eyes of the angels on that day God entered earth? And so before we do anything, I don't want to get ahead of myself, do me two quick favors. Would you just say Merry Christmas and say hi to someone next to you? Say Merry Christmas, say hi to someone next to you. Take a second, and then you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, but say Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, so hey, Luke chapter 2, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us, but we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now, this is a pivotal night. The night that God entered earth is really the night that divides history as we know it. This divides B.C. from A.D. B.C.E., you might say, to C.E. We look at the date, the Anno Domini, the day that Jesus entered earth, his birthday, as the, the day that divides history as we know it. And so we want to look at God entered earth, God entered history, and what does that look like? And I'm excited because there's so many songs about the, the angels being involved in the, the Christmas story. And I want to honestly take a second and be like, what was that like? What was it like for, for heaven to see Jesus enter the earth? What was it like from their perspective? What did they think? What did they feel? What did they think? And so that's what we're going to look at specifically today. So Luke chapter 2, again, Christmas according to the angels. That's what we're going to look at. I want to read the story as a whole, and then we'll pray and look at this more in depth. So Luke chapter 2, look at verse 1 with me. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of David and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there's no room for them in the inn. And here's the focus for us in verse 8 on. It says, Now there were in the, in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
So it was when the angel had, had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just, um, we are just so humbled and amazed by really what took place a couple thousand years ago. We know it wasn't on this day, <laughs> but we do look back and just want to celebrate and slowly remember the fact that, God, you entered earth. God, your very creation, the creator entered creation, we thank you. God, we thank you just for what we, we learn and see, just what the angels even preached that day. God, we ask that we would hear clearly what they preach. It's still being preached today. Thank you that the Christmas story is good news of great joy to all people. And we ask, God, that you just speak to us and be in this place. In your wonderful name, amen. You know, it seems we as a culture, as a people group, are just obsessed with angels. We have movies about angels. We have songs about angels. We have Charlie's angels. We have angels in the outfield. Uh, we have Touched by an Angel. I mean, there's TV shows about the paranormal and like the angels. Every time our dog stares and looks at the wall, we're like, isn't it an angel? What does he see? Right? Or something else. But we kind of have these thoughts. There's like an obsession with angels in many ways. And it, really, if you think about just any Christmas song, any t time like this, all the songs involve angels. Why is that? Why do we see angels in every song? Why do we see this? Here's just a few songs uh, that we, we sing, some titles, some lyrics, so you kind of can see this. We know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Angels from the Realms of Glory, Angels We've Heard on High. The first Noel says, The angels did say, uh, was to certain, to certain poor shepherds in the fields as they lay. What child is this whom angels greet? Uh, with anthem sweet. God rest your merry gentlemen says from God our heavenly father a blessed angel came. Silent night talks about heavenly hosts singing hallelujah. Oh little town of Bethlehem it says while mortals sleep the angels keep. Oh holy night oh hear the angels voices. I mean over and over again every Christmas song every story you must can't tell the Christmas story without angels. And why is that? Why are angels so intricate into the Christmas story? I mean, why are they so infatuated with the story? An angel appears to Zechariah, an angel appears to Mary, an angel appears to Joseph, and angels appear to shepherds in a field. Why? why? Why do we see angels' involvement in this whole Christmas story? And what is that about? And what are they communicating? What's their message to us? One author, R.F. White, said this. He says, other than the Holy Spirit, which we talked about yesterday, other than the Holy Spirit, angels are the most pivotal players in the drama that we know as the Christmas story. They are the most pivotal players in the accounts God gave us about the birth of, our, of Jesus, our Lord. He goes, they're the most pivotal players in the story of the, Christ, of the Christmas story. So two things I want to specifically look at tonight, and I want to like ask ourselves, because I don't know if we've ever really thought about the angels' role in the Christmas story. So first thing is this, why are the angels there? Like, why are they really there to the shepherds? Why are they, share, like, why are they there? And then what are the angels sharing? So why are the angels there? And what do the angels share? So let's just talk through this. First point, why are the angels there? Why does it seem as if all of heaven's attention with the shepherds are just there? That a multitude of angels come out of nowhere and start singing praises and glory to God. Why are they there? Because we, we live in a culture that's obsessed with heaven. We talk about heaven, we write books about heaven, we, heaven is for real, like we like to focus and talk about heaven. But at this moment, heaven's attention is on earth. And I want us to think about this. 
all of heaven stops, it appears, and says, we've got to look at earth right now. It's almost as if heaven is saying, everything we're doing, everything we're busy on, we need to acknowledge the fact that God has now entered earth. And it's almost like this silence, and then there's almost this roar of as the, heaven, as the angels and heavens really appear to these shepherds, and so why are they there? Like, what is this all about? Why are the angels there this day? And I want us to again look, if you would, in verse 11. It talks about, he says, For it, there is born to you in this city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So why are the angels there? Why are they obsessed with God? Here's my question. What are angels? Have you ever, like, stopped and thought about what are these spiritual beings, angels? What are they? What do they do? What's their role? Hebrews 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 14 says this about angels. If you would, uh, we'll throw the verse up here so you can see it. Hebrews 1, verse 14. It says, are they angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? See, what are angels? Angels are there to really proclaim the gospel, to make the gospel known, and we see them doing this with the shepherds. Now, here's my question. Why the shepherds? Why are the angels going to the shepherds this night? Out of all the people angels could visit, why shepherds? They're the lowest class. They're kind of the outcast of society. If you study shepherds, and it was kind of a job no one wanted. It was a job you kind of were left with. No one ever grew up with the mindset of, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. If you've ever played a shepherd in a church play, you had the worst part. It's okay. My son had that role on Friday. I had that too. Uh, but it wasn't like an ideal role to play in life. It's almost like, oh, they're shepherd. Like, they must have failed in life. That's how they were treated. That's how they're looked upon. Again, maybe you've heard this, but te shepherds' testimonies couldn't even be used in court. They couldn't be an eyewitness in court. People looked down upon shepherds. No one would ever go visit shepherds and just say, how are the shepherds doing today? So why is it that angels are there? Why is it that angels appear to shepherds? What is it about the shepherds? And here's what we see. We see that our God cares about the most common people. That our God cares about the outcasts. That our God cares about those who are looked down upon. God's like, you want to know who this angelic gospel is going to go to? It's going to go to the shepherds. You know, I love this thought because shepherds were just used throughout the Bible. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. And here we see the shepherd of shepherds coming to earth. We see the angels telling shepherds, listen, the true shepherd, the one true shepherd is entering earth. The shepherd who will also become the sheep. The shepherd who will take on the sins of the world is coming. He's here. And we see the angels appear to shepherds to tell the story. And here's the thing I think we're at today. I love this story specifically because I, I think in my mind, I would love it if an angel were to appear here in this room tonight and just tell us the gospel. Like, that is incredible. Imagine taking care of sheep and then all of a sudden this angel appears and says, hey, the Savior's here. Go to him. That would be mind-blowing. But here's the thing. Not all of us get shepherds. Not all of us get angels. Not all of us get a moment like this. I want you to think about this for a second. Whether, you know, Elijah's in the mountain and he hears a still small voice or Moses sees the burning bush or someone has a vision of God. We see these throughout the Old Testament. We see God speak in the most unique ways. Here, these shepherds get angels speaking to them. But how do we know? How do we know the shepherds heard from the angels? We know because of the shepherds. And I want to I point this out. Um, I think many, many of us want angels. We want God to reveal or speak to us. But so often we get the shepherd. So it'd be great if there's a vision of God right now. It'd be great if the heavens opened up and we saw the throne of God. It would be absolutely amazing if there's like a fire coming down and we're like, wow, God's here. But know what most of us get? Most of us get what they got. They got the shepherds. We don't get to hear the angels like the shepherds did. We get a shepherd. I want you to think about for a second the first time someone ever told you about Jesus, ever told you about God, ever told you about forgiveness. Here's the thing. Usually that messenger is like a shepherd. They're very flawed. 
You think about the shepherds coming into town saying, we saw angels. They're going, you're shepherds. We don't believe you. Right? They, they kind of would dismiss the message for the sake of the messenger. Here, here's the thing. I don't want anyone in this room to forsake, the me- to forsake the message because of the messenger. The messenger so often is flawed that we could find faults with the messenger. But what we see with these shepherds is, and for the people is that God reveals himself to the most common people. And he- I want you to hear this. God wants to reveal himself to you today through a shepherd, through a flawed person, and saying, listen, God has come. Your Savior has come. The Savior of the world has come. And it might not be an angel that tells us this, but it's a shepherd so often. And that's what we get. That's what I get. That's what you get. But why are the angels there? But really, like, why are they there? Why are they there? Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds. Like, why are they so infatuated with the fact that God is coming to earth? What is it about this? I think there's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, that really makes this very clear. And maybe you've read this or heard this, but don't miss this. It's a long verse. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Listen to this. Peter says, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they are ministering the things that which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. I know that was long, but here's what he's saying. He goes, this, this gospel, this salvation, the story of that God came to save, the story that was preached to us by these prophets but filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes, this message of salvation, angels desire to look into these things. Like angels can't get enough of it. Angels are still searching out. It's written in a way where it's, they're still searching. They're still looking into the gospel message. There's something about the gospel that angels go, I need to know more. I need to hear more. Here's why that's so important. The gospel is not just a bunch of words and, and like literature that you can read and memorize and say, I know it. The gospel is something you, one, we need to experience. The gospel is something that I think the more you get to know it, the more you look at Jesus, the more you look at God entering earth, the more you realize I need more of this truth. The angels, guys, the angels are not dummies by, by any means. I think the angels ha- are very brilliant, very bright. They have a lo- they've lived a long time, and they can study a doctrine for a long time, and they're still looking into this message of salvation, going, what is this? God, why would you leave heaven to save these people? Why would you leave heaven to come to people who want nothing to do with you? Why is it that you love these people so much who constantly reject you? What is it? And I think there's this curiosity and fascination with angels when it comes to salvation. That they hear the gospel, they look at the gospel, and they go, I don't think humans know what they have. I think angels right now are kind of going, do, do people really know what they have in front of them that God entered earth? I mean, it's almost as if, again, they, they can't stop telling everyone. Like, hey, Joseph, I'm telling you, God's coming to earth. Mary, God's coming. Shepherds, God's coming. They, just, they can't help but just tell everyone. There's a side where I, I believe, according to Peter, is they, they just constantly are looking into the gospel because it just amazes them. And here's what I would say. If the gospel amazes the angels, how much more should it amaze us? If it's something for them, they go, I need more of this. I need to understand this. I don't get this. Why would God love people like this? Why would God embrace people who hate him? Why would God give his very best, his one and only son, for people who want nothing to do with him? And there's something about the gospel. There's something about salvation. The angels say, we need more of this. And Christians, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or whether you're brand new to this, you've never heard, what is the gospel? We'll talk about that. But what is that? Whether you're brand new to this or been around this for a long time, I would say you could never exhaust the gospel. You can never look into it enough. You can never study it enough. You, ne- you can never go, oh, I've memorized the, go- the gospel, therefore I'm good. 
There's nothing else I need to learn about the gospel of Jesus. There's nothing else I need to hear about it. I've heard this before. I am good. The gospel is almost like a kaleidoscope where you like look into it and there's all these different colors and sides and angles and you go, this is beautiful and I can twist it this way and see this new perspective. The more I study this book, the more I realize I don't know it. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I realize I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface to an infinite God. We are asking the finite us to comprehend and embrace the infinite. And that is a big thing to take on. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life is about knowing God, about understanding God, walking with God, having deep relationship and intimacy with God. And the angels are going, we want to know more about this. Why? Why would God send his son? Why would God save a people that want nothing to do with him? And and I think the angels are here with the shepherds that day because they're absolutely amazed that God, who is eternal, who always existed, decided to enter earth and walk among men. And they can't help but tell everyone and God sends them to angels. To people, when they come back into town saying, look, our Savior has come, they say, you're crazy, you're shepherds. No one's going to believe you. And yet we see that Jesus would be the ultimate shepherd. The shepherd who would come and lay down his life for the sheep. The shepherd who would come and give his very best. So why are the angels there? I just think they can't get enough of the gospel. I think they can't get enough of the good news. And if them, how much more us? And not only that, but here's a second thought. Not why are the angels there, but what do the angels share? Like, what, what is the angel's message We have an angelic message, an angelic gospel. What is it that they're sharing? If you would, look down again at verse 10. Here's their message, verse 10. They see the shepherds and they simply say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is their message. Now let's just break this down really quick. Fear not, for behold. Fear not, for behold. I've mentioned this before, uh, but angels, whenever they encounter humans, the first thing they say is fear not. They have to. Because angels are freaked out by angels. Like, our humans are freaked out by angels. It's almost like an angel school. They're like, hey, make sure you say, fear not, or the angels will have a heart attack, and, or humans will have a heart attack and die. Make sure you say, fear not. And really, the number one command, literally, the number one command repeated in the Bible is, fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. The number one command given by God in the Bible is, don't be afraid. Why is that said over and over again? Because we are prone to fear. We are prone to fear on so many levels. And here's what I want to point out. I think we are prone to fear because we're beholding the wrong thing. Daniel says, fear not for behold. Notice how he diverts the attention to something else. Guys, if there's fear in our life, it's because we're looking at and beholding the wrong thing. Fear not, behold what? Behold the gospel. Fear not, look, God has come. If there's fear in your life and in my life, it's because I am focused and we are focused and we are looking at the wrong thing, the wrong circumstance, the wrong person, Fear not, for behold. Hey, what is it that you're beholding right now? What is the fear in your life right now? Where do you have fear? Fear about your future, fear about your finances, fear about your kids, fear about your college, fear about what you're going to do for life. Like, what is your fear? And I think we, there's so much fear in our lives because we're focused on and we're beholding and looking at the wrong thing when we're told, fear not, for behold. Behold the good news. A way to get rid of fear in our life is by beholding the good news. Fear not for behold. Guys, what are we beholding? Listen, what it, whatever it is you behold, whatever it is you're taking in, into your life, that's what you become. Whatever it is I behold with my eye and stare at and focus, I'm going to become like that thing. And I love they say, fear not, but behold. Behold what's in front of you. So their message is this. Listen, the angel's message today to you, to me, is fear not. Fear not. Why? God's with us. 
Fear not. Why? Because the one who's going to conquer sin, hell, and death has come. Fear not. Why? Because Emmanuel is on earth and he's with you and he loves you. Fear not. Fear not. Don't have fear anymore. Fear not. Behold something else. For behold. And then keep going with that verse. Fear not. For behold. Why? He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Let's look at the next phrase. Good news. This is interesting to me, actually, because this is literally the first time the word gospel is used. Now, I know it says good news, but I'm not going to get into the Greek of it. But if you look at that, that is the first time the word gospel is used in the New Testament. Fear not, for behold, gospel is here. Good news is here. This is the word gospel. The angels, listen, the angels are the first one to literally preach the gospel. Do we know that? The angels are the first one to come to earth and say, hey, humans, the gospel has come. The good news has come. Hey, in a world filled with bad news, we need some good news, right? I don't think we've ever turned on the news and like watched the news one day and like, hey, actually everything's pretty good today. No rape, no murder. Things are pretty good. Like, no, it's just filled with bad news. Like everywhere we turn, we hear bad news. We need some good news. And, and I want you to hear this. The gospel account is not, hey, let me give you some good advice. Let me send you some good vibes. It's no, let me give you good news. Let me tell you that God has come. Can I tell you every other worldview or religion, it's really not good news. It's if you do this, then God will accept you. That's, that's overbearing to me. I can't do that. Hey, if you be good enough, then God loves you. Hey, if you do this, then God will accept you into his family. This is not good advice, you guys. This is not good instructions. This is not even good teaching. This is good news. This is the fact that God has come. God has paid it all. God has paid for the sins of the world. It's good news. It's, it's a declaration of something God has done, not that we have to do. Amen? He says, behold, good news. Good news is here. Gospel is here. What you've been waiting for and looking for is here. And again, I love that the angels are the first ones to introduce even that word gospel. They say, behold, gospel has come. The good news of mankind, what we've been waiting for and longing for and craving for has come. And that is found in the person of Jesus. And maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe you've come out of a certain form of tradition or religion where the emphasis is on you and what you do and your life and your devotion. And can I tell you, way before our devotion to God, God was devoted to us. Way before we could ever do anything for God, God did it all for us. God paid the way. God paid for the sin. This is good news. Please hear this today. My heart fights grace. Let me just point this out. My heart fights grace. It's hard for me to understand that God could simply embrace me and love me because God is good. There's a side of this where I go, I feel like I need to earn God's love. I must do something. I must do something for God to love me. You know, honestly, when I became a parent, and parents know this, this radically changed my perspective on everything because I looked at this kid, I'm like, I just love you. I just love you. No matter what you do, you can slap me in the face. I love you. Like, it's weird. Like, you know, you're just watching all the stages from baby as they're growing up to toddler and like, they're like such little punks sometimes. Like, oh, but I love you. You know, like, it doesn't matter. Like, even if you hate me, I will love you. I remember I, I told my son that a couple weeks ago for the first time. I'm like, hey, even when you're mean, I love you. He goes, even when I'm mean? I'm like, even when you're mean? <laughs> you know, he's like, really? Like, he's like, okay, I'll be more mean. Like, no, that's supposed to motivate you, right? There's something about the gospel where God's like, hey, I'll, I love you. I loved you way before you ever loved me. Why do we love him? Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. See, this is good news. It's not good advice. It's not good instruction. It's not saying, hey, I want you to feel these good vibes. It's saying, no, this is good news. It's a declaration that God has come, that God has arrived. What you've needed all along is salvation and God has come. And this is this, I bring you what? Good news of what? Good news of great joy. Great joy. We need to believe this more, one, 
and I don't know why, but I get kind of sad sometimes when I hear certain people talk about Jesus because they almost present Jesus like sour or depressing. Can we understand that Jesus is like the source of all joy? Can we understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that the fact that we have happiness or joy, all of that is a byproduct of God. Like anything good in my life is because of him. We need to talk about, like, for some reason, people think, oh, if I follow Jesus, it's like going to the dentist every day of my life. Or I'm going to, like, wait in line for the DMV forever. Like, no! Just following Jesus is this great source of joy. He goes, I bring you good news of great joy. It's great joy. I would love to see more joy in our family's lives. I would love to see you leave tonight. Maybe it's stressful getting here. <laughs> Maybe it's stressful going, oh, it's Christmas Eve. It's almost done. Like, I don't know what it is. But I would love to see you have great joy tonight. Great joy in what? In the good news. Great joy, not in the presence, not in, in anything else. You want families around, that's great. Like the blessing and curse of Christmas is family and family. Like sometimes, you know, it's all of that. The good news that we have is found in Jesus, and it is great joy. How we need to see Christians walk more in joy. I love when it says, you know, in Romans 14, it talks about being filled with the Spirit means you're filled with joy. Someone who's really filled with the presence of God has the joy of God in their life. I bring you good news of great joy to what? He says, to all the people. Can we just recognize that to all the people? Do we know that the gospel is not just for Jews? It's not for Gentiles? It's not for Western Americans? It's, it's for everyone? Do you know that this good news is for Iraqis, for Palestinians, for Israelis, for everyone, for South Americans, Caribbean? The good news for, of great joy is to who? All people. All people. We serve a God who came to save who? All people. This is good news of great joy to all. And again, our heart fights this, or sometimes we think, oh no, Christianity, that's like a Western thing. No, no, this was an Eastern thing that spread West. We know that this is good news of great joy to all people, for everyone. This is the angel's message. And then they say this in verse 11, and, I, and it's so important to look at what they say about Jesus. Because what's the good news? What's this great joy? What's this message to all people? Verse 11, here's what they say. And they say, for there is one, there's one born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at those three names or three titles. Savior, Christ, Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. This is the only time in all of the Bible those three titles are used in the same breath. The only time we see Savior, Christ, Lord used all in the same verse. Now, what are these three names, or these three titles? Just, I'll put this up here so you can see it, but we see that Savior is referring to Jesus' activity, what he came to do. We see that Christ is his title, and we see that Lord is his identity. His activity is to save us. His title is he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. And his identity is he's the Lord. So let's just walk through this really quick. He goes, hey, I present to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior. What you and I needed more than anything was a Savior. And this is offensive. But what you and I need more than anything in life is a Savior. A guy named Adrian Rogers said it this way. I thought it was so good. He says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. But my dear friend, our greatest need was salvation and forgiveness, and God sent a savior. This was our greatest need. And this is so offensive. We've got to be honest. This is so offensive to our heart. So for example, for Christmas, let's just say, you know, one by one, I give you guys a little gift, right? And I give you this little box, and it's like that turquoise color, whatever. What's that from again? Um, Tiffany, so I don't know. But it's like that box. And you're like, ooh, it's small must be expensive. Yeah. So I give you this box, and you open it up, and it's a piece of paper, and it says, I forgive you. And then, like, you look up at me, and I'm like, <laughs> you'd be so, like, what? Like, I don't, for what? Like, what do you forgive me of, right? It's almost, like, offensive. Like, why would you forgive me? Here, here's the message. When I say, man, you're forgiven, you're like, okay, but why do I need to be forgiven? 
Let me, let me just make this clear. When it says God sent a savior, we go, oh, that's so beautiful. But that's also, do you know what that says about us? He says, you are dead in your sin and you could never save yourself. So God had to come himself. Basically, we all say, man, Jesus is the reason for the season. True. Sin is the reason for the season. The reason Jesus came is because the sin needed to be paid for. And see, we, we can talk about this, go, man, it's so beautiful, little baby, little savior. It's like, no, no, it's because we're so wicked, so dark, so doomed. The only way we could ever be right with God is if God came himself. He sent us a savior. And then he says this, who is Christ? Who's Christ? His title is Christ. He is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one that God promised would come. He's the one who came. He is Christ. He's the one that everyone in the Old Testament was longing for and looking for. He is Christ. You know, when we talk about Jesus Christ, we, we've made it like, we've made it so similar to his name, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, we've kind of combined it. It's like, it's his, it's his name. Some of you are like, I never knew. I thought Jesus, I thought Christ was his last name. Like, no, it's his title. All right, it's not Jesus Christ. It's funny. I remember the first time I told my son, Micah, I'm like, oh, my name's Josiah. He's like, not your daddy. I'm like, no, no, like, that's like who I am to you, but I, I'm Josiah. He's like, no, 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 I know who you are. Like, you're daddy. And, and, and no, see, daddy is not my name. Um, so please don't call me daddy. That'd be really weird. Um, daddy is just who I am to him, right? And in his mind, Josiah, daddy, the same thing. It's just who, it's who I am. Here's the thing. Jesus is the Christ. He's the, he's the one who's come to save. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. He's the one everyone's been longing for and looking to. Jesus Christ, and then he says the Lord. And this is his, you could say, identity. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of all. Paul in Philippians 2 talks about this idea that how one day, everyone, Hitler, Madonna, every president that's ever lived will bow the knee to Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord, everyone. And this is something that I don't know if we fully grasp where Paul writes, he goes, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth. You're going to confess him now on the earth. You're going to continue to confess him in heaven or one day you'll confess him as Lord under the earth. And he's saying, you're going to confess him either way. Either way, you're going to confess Jesus as Lord. Either way, you're going to say, Jesus, you're Lord of all. It's going to happen one day. I prefer you do it here on earth. I prefer that you do it now. He says, we, we have this day in the city of David in Bethlehem that might, we talked about this yesterday, Micah 5, 2, the Savior be born in Bethlehem. Hey, the Savior, Christ the Lord, he's here, he's with us. And I, and I want you to just imagine this for just a second. Imagine being the, <laughs> the shepherds, just watching sheep, like no one talks to you. You're probably illiterate. You're probably going, what the heck is going on? Like, they're so confused. It's night, it's dark, I'm tired. And you see the shepherd appeal to you, and you go, oh my, you see an angel appear to you, and you go, oh my gosh, what's going on? And you hear this beautiful message of the gospel. You hear this good news being told, and there's just one angel. It says, an angel, right? It says, an angel appeared. And now read it, verse 13. It says, and then suddenly, there was with the angel, so just one, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I, I mean, think about just one angel, like, oh my goodness, this is so terrifying, an angel's here, wow. And then like, little do you know, like, here's a multitude, like a choir of angels going, glory to God in the highest, like, ah. I mean, our choir was pretty good tonight. I mean, that was really cute. I, my son specifically, I love that, right? Like, it's cute. There's nothing compared to this choir and of angels just appear before them and saying, glory to God. Imagine if one angel's voice the Bible describes is like many waterfalls falls. Now imagine a multitude of them. Imagine what that's like to just hear a multitude of angels all say unanimously, glory to God in the highest. Imagine what that was like where they go, you humans need to know what has just happened, that God has entered earth. Do you understand? I don't feel like I always understand this. Many years of my Christian life, 
Christmas was simply presents, right? That's, that's like what it was. That's all I look forward to. I don't know if I understand the fact that we have a God who spoke the world into existence and says, now in order to save man, I must enter my creation. And the angels are going, glory to God in the highest who made himself low. The highest of highs, God, of the, uni- the creator of the universe, has now taken on the lowest of lows, born in a manger, born in a stable, born to a for- poor family. Glory to God. This word glory it just means like weightiness, almost like beyondness, aboveness, like so far beyond and above you and I. There's a weight to the glory of God. If God's glory were to show up right now, I feel like we'd just be crushed under the weight. There's something about like the word weight or glory, something about being crushed under the presence of God. Remember when Isaiah saw God in Isaiah 6? Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple, it says. And he, what does he cry out? He says, woe is me from I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Do you know what happened? He, he had a little taste of the glory of God. You see, the idea is this. If God's glory is weight, when an object is heavier than another object, it, it, it shifts and changes everything. So for example, if I dropped an object that is heavier than water into water, that water overspills and turns up. And like, you know, if I drop an object heavier than water into water, that water is completely changed. When you drop the presence of God into our lives, everything is completely changed. Nothing can be the same if you've encountered God. Nothing can be the same if you've experienced God. Daniel say, glory to God in the highest. And the King James Version, I'm just going to be honest, it butchers this. It absolutely butchers the text. And we, maybe you've heard it before, like we read it in verse 14. It says, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Here's what it really says. We'll throw up the verse. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those whom God is pleased. Who is God pleased with? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here's what I want you to see. Sometimes this verse is used like, we need to be at peace with each other. You need to have peace within. You know what this is describing? It's describing peace with God. Not just like peace with, on earth with us, but peace with God. Are we at peace with God? I mean, some of the greatest sermons or hymns ever written were what God and sinner reconciled. Charles Wesley wrote that famous Christmas song basically said, this is the greatest need of all, is that God and sinner are reconciled, that you're at peace with God. Listen, you can never have the peace of God in your life until you're at peace with God. You'll never have the peace of God ruling your heart until you're at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? If you're at peace with God, you'll have the peace of God. But first, you need to have, be at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? Jesus came so that we could be at peace with God. Here's what I just want to point out. Angels were at work, and I know we think, okay, that happened then. Hebrews 1.14, as we quoted earlier, still is speaking of, they are ministers of salvation. Like, they're currently doing that. They're currently ministers of salvation. Do you remember when Jesus died and rose again, and right before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1, he's standing with the disciples, he ascends into heaven, and in Acts 1, verse 10, I'll read it to you, it says, while the disciples looked steadfastly toward heaven as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels, and who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angels appeared and said, hey, the same way you saw him go up is the same way he's going to come down. They're still ministering the gospel. Here, here's what I want you to see. We want an angel so often, but we do get a shepherd. <laughs> we want it to be an angel who says, look at God, believe in God, but you got me. I'm sorry about that. You have someone saying, listen, our Savior Christ the Lord has come. Believe receive him, know him. Can I tell you, I so believe the angels still are infatuated with the gospel. Maybe you remember this verse or heard this verse. It's Luke chapter 15, verse 10, but listen to this. 
he says, I say to you, Jesus said this, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When one sinner repents, the angels go, oh my gosh, they get it. Humanity finally gets it, that they need God to save them from, yes, and there's a celebration that takes place. There's joy in heaven, in the presence of angels. When one person says, I need you, I need the Savior. This God who became man, this God who came to pay for my, I need him. Angels are going, yes, I've been studying salvation for a couple thousand years now. They finally get it. This is great. This is so beautiful. There's something about a person saying, Jesus, I was made by you and for you. I, I'm only fulfilled in you. I'm only satisfied in you. I, I receive you, Jesus. I believe you. I cannot find satisfaction until I really find you. I, I need, I believe you. I receive the free gift of salvation. You are Savior. You are Christ. You are Lord. You've come to pay for my sins. You, you died on the cross in my place. You rose again from grave. You ascended into heaven. I believe in you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. The angels go, yes. Yes, they get it. I think this encore that we see of the choir appearing to the shepherds is still happening. This, this almost like praise ceremony, this worship service to the angels is still happening. I believe all over the world right now where the gospel is being preached and someone believes in Jesus, the angel, I'm sure the angels are just nonstop losing it. <laughs> like, they, like, ah, ah, like there's just a nonstop going, just praising God because people are constantly going, I need Jesus, I receive Jesus, I believe Jesus. Listen, right now today, believe in Jesus, receive Jesus. Christ has come. Christ has come because know why we were doomed. <laughs> I mean, the gospel is good news because there is bad news. The bad news is that sin has, I sin in my nature, it's just who I am and by choice. It's my nature and it's my choice. We sin all the time. But the good news is that God has come and God's not basing my eternal life off me, but off what Jesus Christ has done. God's not saying, just thought you could never go to heaven by your good works anyways. I'm applying Christ's righteousness to your life. And if you believe in Jesus, he's applying Christ's righteousness to your life. Believe in Jesus, receive Jesus. Can I tell you what the shepherds did? They see this message, they hear this message, and we're told, and, and they meet Mary, and they meet Joseph, and look at verse 20, we'll end with this verse. It says, then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the, all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. There's a side of it where they go, ah, we, saw, we heard the angels, we saw Jesus, and they just went out telling everyone, they went out rejoicing, they went out praising, and this is our response. We want to just close our time by praising, by thanking God. We're actually just going to close with a song of worship, and we are going to do communion tonight. Communion for us is a time to reflect on Jesus, Communion for us is a time to say, you know why God became that baby? In that video we saw, like everyone stopped motion and they see the baby. You know why God entered earth? God entered earth to pay for sins. God entered earth so we could have deep relationship with him. Listen, here's what we're going to do. I need your attention. If this is your first time here ever, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you've never believed in Jesus or received Jesus, know that you can do that right now. Know that in your heart, in your chair, in your seat, you can call upon the name of the Lord and, and be saved right now. Do you know that? That all it takes is you say, I believe in Jesus. I receive Jesus. The idea is that you call upon the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you're saved. You're saved. It's so simple. It's good news. It's already done. Believe it. Receive it. And we're going to pass out communion. We're going to pass out this little cup. Or we're going to pass out this little cracker. And we take it and we drink it to remember Jesus' body was broken for me. His, shed was, his blood was shed for me. And we take that to remember Jesus' death. And we also celebrate the fact that he's risen, that death had no hold on him. And if you believe in Jesus, take this. If you don't believe in Jesus, no need to remember something you don't believe in. No need to take this if you don't. Don't feel that pressure. Let it pass in front of you. But if you believe this and you say, maybe I've never done this, I've never taken this, you can take this now. Because God sees your heart. <laughs> God sees your belief. God sees your faith. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to end with some worship. As we worship, we're going to pass out communion. So I just want to pray really quick for you guys. I want to end our time like the shepherds, in a sense, rejoicing and praising God. 
And as we're worshiping and taking communion, reflect on the fact of why Jesus come, why the angels were so excited, because God has entered earth, the Savior of mankind. Let's pray. Father, we, we, are, um, we are amazed and humbled by this message that there is good news of great joy to all people. And Jesus, you are that good news. You are the gospel. Jesus, you are, are what our heart was created for and made for. And so God, even on, on Christmas Eve, as we take communion, Lord, we know this is not something just reserved for Good Friday or Easter, but we remember why you came. God, you came ultimately to be the shepherd who became the sheep, to become the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so, Lord, just please be in this place. God, I, I just ask, God, for, for anyone in this room who, who has just heard about you, Jesus, even tonight, and says, I believe this. I receive this. Jesus, we so believe that this is good news that you've already accomplished. And so, Lord, I just ask that we could celebrate with the angels what you're doing. God, that you're saving all the time. Lord, as, as we just take this again, we want to celebrate you, that your blood was shed, your body was broken, so, God, we could have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. We just want to praise you now. We want to worship you now. God, be in this place. Be in our worship. In your wonderful name, amen.